Triple HFM Sports in association with Atlas Chartered Accountants, HK Post, Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports welcomes you to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. Here's your host, the wise man, Matt Mears. Yes, hello and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast here. Triple H 100.1 FM and all your good and bad podcast sites. I am the wise man, Matt Mears, filling in again for Anthony Caruso. Anthony Caruso on quote-unquote personal leave. Um, we don't want to know what personal stuff is going on in the uh, Caruso household. So we're going to leave it at that. If you do have any concerns, I'm sure you can reach out to Anthony on any various social medias. I'm sure he'll be happy to chat your ear off. But um, we've got a big, big preview for you here on Splinters. As we know, if you're listening Tuesday night, if you're listening Wednesday morning, well, we hope you're listening Tuesday night here on Triple H. It is Happy Ashes Eve. Yes, that's right. We've got Ashes Test 1 starting at the Gabba on Wednesday. I couldn't be more excited. There's just something about the Ashes. We all love it. We all just can't wait for it to be um, on. It's just something that just raises the level of Test Cricket when it's Australia v England. It's almost like we're going back to the OG and I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that are excited. I know I've got two people that are very excited, also like me, that it's beginning. They made their debuts on Splinters here last week. They did so well. They're back again. First up, we got Arian Char. Arian, I know you had great fun doing the BBL preview last week. You did so well. We got you back, mate. Welcome to Splinters. Yeah, thanks, Matt. And I know one person that definitely isn't excited about the Ashes and that's Dom Rizzuto. We all know <laughs> what he thinks about cricket, but we'll save that for another day. It's great to be back alongside you two, and I'm, ex- and I'm even more excited for this because I know what it means to beat England in sport in any capacity. Oh, it's, I think it's the Aussie dream. I think, like, yeah doesn't matter what you're competing in there's we're all just that little bit more competitive when we take on the English and um I tell you everything that's gone on before this series I'm sure everyone's going to have a little bit of extra pep in their step um to make sure they bring home the ashes uh, come the middle of January when we finished these five test matches also joining us back for another episode of splinters Andrew Hurlinger Andrew Absolutely great to have you here on Splinters for the second week in a row. Matt, it's great to be back. And coming from our week last week with the BBL preview, I think that you're probably very happy with some of the results we had on the weekend with your Sydney Sixers, who we did predict well to do well this tournament, topping up and playing absolutely brilliantly. So I imagine you're in a good mood. Well, I am in a good mood. As I said, um, Two nights ago, if you're listening on Tuesday, the Sixers absolutely dominated the Melbourne Stars, um, just showing that uh, they've uh, got a little bit extra this this year, and, and they didn't even really need the, the the begins that we talked about in Tom Curran and Chris Jordan being pommies. I don't know if we should be talking too much about them on this edition of Splinters, but seeing they're pulling on the magenta, maybe they can be honorary Australians while they do that. But now, uh, I'm going to say something really controversial here. Oh, here the we way, go. The way the Melbourne Stars played last night was worse than the entirety of the Renegades last season. It was oh. woefully bad. Like I that, that is seen, a big call. I've not seen a worse batting performance in a 2020 game 
today, ever. I think the I think the Melbourne Stars will claim that they they have quite a few injuries, uh, like Stoinis, Joe Burns. But when you got the likes of uh, Glenn Maxwell and Tal Hilton in that side, right. Hilton Curran, Joe Dan Clark Ford, supposed to be their international. Yeah, they they certainly um, didn't put up the mustard. I know they were chasing a big total, but uh, yeah, again, it wasn't good. We'll be keeping our eye on the BBL, so tune into the bench on Friday nights. We'll be discussing some BBL here. <laughs> It's time now to start our Splinters Ashes preview. And uh, boys, we look at this Australian squad. It's gone through its ups and downs with um, with obviously the Tim Payne saga. I don't think we need to go into that at the moment. But um, it, 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 there's been some conjecture. We'll go through that in a moment. I'll run through the I'll run through the squad first. We'll then talk about the team that's been named that was named over the weekend for the first Ashes Test. Um, then maybe we can talk about some of the players that uh, may get a look in, in tests down the line. Um, so the, the, the squad as it stands, you've got Alex Carey coming in to take that wiki Kimmy position. Pat Cummins, named captain. We'll talk about that in a moment. You've got Cameron Green, Marcus Harris, Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Usman Kawaja, Marcus Labashane, Nathan Lyon, Michael Neeser, Jai Richardson, Steve Smith, your vice-captain, Mitchell Stark, Mitchell Swepson, Dave Warner. There's also a few Australia A players floating around. They'll be playing the English Lions in, a, in about a week's time. you got Sean Abbott, Ashton Agar, Scott Boland, Henry Hunt, Josh Inglis, Nick Maddinson, Mitch Marsh, Matt Renshaw, Mark Steady, Bryce Street. That's just showing the talent that we've got in reserve just in case there are some injuries or other unavailabilities throughout this season. So very strong there. The test the, the test team, as it's named in batting order, you got Warren and Harris opening. We knew Harris was going to be part of the uh, lineup. They they named that a couple of weeks ago. Labashain three, Steve Smith at four. I don't think we can go much better there. Travis Head has won that position over Usman Kawaja at number five. Cameron Green has the all-rounder spot at number six. Alex Carey comes in to make his test taboo behind the stumps at number seven. Pat Cummins at eight, he'll skip of the team. You got Mitchell Stark, Nathan Lyon, Josh Hazelwood, that four pronged attack that we've seen over and over again for the Aussies. So first up, before we go into the individual um, players in this team, I'll, I'll go to you, Andrew, first. What do you make up of this eleven for the first test? Uh, look, that side pretty much selected itself. Not too much controversy. I think um, George Bailey and the selectors had the the nucleus of that side down pretty down pat, despite the fact that they had struggled last summer losing that series to India. Um, the only questions were really who was going to play at number five. Was Mitchell Stark going to be kept, which really was always going to happen, and who was going to open at the top of the order. So those three spots have been solved. Um, Alex Carey has also been installed in there at that wicket-keeping position. So overall, I feel like it's... A, a solid side. I think they've got the the star performers up there in Labashane and Smith for the batting. Warner will be there as well. Um, and the bowling attack is still very, very strong. They've got Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, they're two of the best quicks. And Nathan Lyon will support well as the, the front-line spinner. So it looks a strong side, but we haven't seen them play a lot of cricket recently. And it, it's hard to gauge if they're all in good form or if their spots in the side are as secure as they should be. Yeah, I think a lot of these guys being picked on form from last year, 
Not been a lot of test cricket since uh, the end of the Aussie summer, but I said we've seen a few of these guys in uh, the the shorter form of the game or in the um, Australian domestic scene. Let's hope they've gone with the right side. Arian, same question to you. Um, how are you? How? What are your thoughts on this first eleven for the first test from the Aussies? Yeah, I'm gonna go a bit left field here, and I'm gonna say I'm a little bit disappointed with some of the selections, and I feel like a few of these players have a lot to prove. One being Marcus Harris, he really hasn't capitalised on his international uh, kind of attempts in the past. Although you could say that he hasn't had enough attempts or gone at the wrong time. Travis Head, he's good, but he just needs to show a little bit more composure at times uh, and not get out trying to play two rash shots. I would have given Mitchell Stark a little bit of a break and brought in Jai Richardson just to reassess and work on a few things. Not drop Mitchell Stark for the whole season, but maybe one to two tasks just to get his things back in order. And yeah, I'm really excited to see what Alex Carey can bring to the table. I know he's played especially well in the one-day circuit. He was a good T20 player, and he still probably is. And I truly like the aggressive nature that he plays, although I do probably back Josh Inglis as a more long-term option. But we'll wait and see what happens after this series. It will tell a lot. And one other person I'm really intrigued to find out about is David Warner and how he's going to play, especially Stuart Broad. That's always an intriguing battle. And whether Broad can adjust to the conditions or David Warner can dominate on home soil as he has done so many times in the past, uh, in those last few years. So yeah, it should be a cracker of a series. It's going to be an absolutely cracking series. I know there'll be a lot of work time wasted uh, with this on. Uh, The the one good thing, I think work work would think that it's good is if when it's on in England, at least it's on after work time. I think there's a few uh, bosses out there just... uh, be watching a few over the shoulders, probably including mine, to make sure uh, there's some productivity going on and not just uh, enthralled in what will be a, a great test series. We'll talk about a few of the things that we brought up here with the with the um, side as we named it. Davy Warner, will, we, I might just not touch that one because I think there's a lot that can be unpacked there, particularly I think about how his wife is talking more about um, his spot in the team than he, he is. And uh, I don't think we need to go down that path on this on this podcast, but we'll go to Marcus Harris, and he was named a couple of weeks ago by George Bailey to, as would be taking that opening spot. Probably um, Usman Kawaja could probably be the other option there as well, but uh, he's sort of been batting in the middle order for the last couple of years for, for Queensland, but has done the opening job for um, the Aussies in the past. There's not really any other options out there, particularly with um, the the Victorian whose name escapes me at the moment. Will Pekoski. Um, Will Pekoski, yeah. Will Pekoski, that's right. Thank you. That's why you guys are here. Yeah, Will Pekoski, he probably, I reckon, would have been slated for that opening spot alongside Warner had he been fit, but obviously uh, another concussion um, for him in the um, preseason not helping his cause, and, and we do send all our best because 
um, that can be a very tricky issue to have to... Uh... One thing I will say about the the selection now is Polkowski having to go out and help Harris come in. I think Harris is going to be well positioned to have a little, more, a little bit more success on this time round. I think over the last 12 months, he's said that he's had a bit of a technical change and learnt from his experience in the last Asset Series but down in England. And he was pretty good in the um, county championship this summer. He was averaging around 50 and had a couple of hundreds. So he might be coming in in a little bit of better form this time around, although he is lucky to be in that position because Pukowski had that field. What about you, Arian? Do you think that um, Harris, probably not the long-term option, but uh, as I said, he he will need a a couple of starts or or at least um, some good numbers in these first couple of tests because... Uh, there is still one or two guys, even without Pekoski. Hopefully he gets better and, and might be a chance to play later in the series, but there's still other, other options there at the top of the order if he doesn't fire. Look, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a huge fan of Marcus Harris. I just think he hasn't really capitalised. Yeah, he played well, quite well in the county championship, but I'm still waiting for that to kind of translate onto home soil. Sheffield Shield form really hasn't warranted that much for selection. And I really think that Usman Kawaja could not have done anything else to get into that 11. So I really hope, I know this is going to sound really bad, but I really (laughs) hope that Marcus Harris doesn't make the most of his opportunity. And then they look to Usman Kawaja as a more senior player, with more experience and more um, adaptability in terms of where he bats, and he can be a lot more of a floater than Marcus Harris, who's very much used to batting at the top. Um, but then with Usman Kawaj's experience at the top and in the middle, he can really bat anywhere, so that makes him a huge asset. But yeah, that's me on Marcus Harris. Well said. It, it, it will be one that I think most punter, punters will have a uh, an eye on throughout the season. And if if he doesn't score big in the first couple of games, um, the media will certainly be using that as a as a way of trying to uh, drum up some media uh, stories. But uh, the middle order, I think, pretty set. Manus um, Labashain, we we all know how good he is. Steve Smith, obviously, he's put he, the last Ashes series. He just pulled us out of the fire multiple occasions. There's no way you're not going to have him in fit. Cameron Green, I like at number six. Um, I said I think he's just got so much potential. What he can do with the bat and the ball, we saw some glimpses of that last year against India. Uh, he's had some good form for WA in the lead up in the uh, domestic competition. I feel that this could be his time to shine. Um, but yeah, that number five in Travis Head, uh, I I probably have a different thought. I, I feel he was the man for the job. He obviously had a great start to the domestic season as well. But I think there's just a little trigger in him that sometimes if things don't go his way, he's just got to, he, in his brain, he just ticks over back into to short form mode and tries to hit himself away, hit himself out of it. Whereas if he just showed a little bit more patience, um, he'd be able to get through those tough times. I think if he could learn that, then he's he's in that middle order for a fair few years to come. But um, as I said, I think we're still looking at a, at a very strong middle order there from the Aussies. One thing I do want to see is I want to see Cameron Green being utilised with the ball more. 
because he's been touted as an all-rounder, but the way he bowled in the India series, he almost bowled like a part-timer that well, the Well, I think what happened last in. year, Aryan, was he was under restriction for his um, for injuries. So oh, he was only enough. able to bowl so long spells and so many overs in a day. From what I'm told, he is now off those restrictions so he can be used as a genuine fifth bowler. That'll be a yeah. bonus. I, I think he Fair adds enough. a nice little pace factor to that side. And he, he has got a fairly good Sheffield Shield record. And uh, when we look at the other side with Ben Stokes as well, like it's so valuable to have that all-round quantity in your side. And that's what a lot of people are looking at Cameron Green. And uh, that middle order with Cameron Green and Travis Head, a lot's going to depend on them. I think the last time... Um, we were in the ashes down here in Australia. The middle order of Mitchell Marsh and Sean Marsh had a had actually one of the better summers that they've probably had in their career. And I think that they're going to be, those two, Head and, and Green, are going to be important again because they provide the support to, to Smith and Labashane that they need. The thing I want to see from Travis Head this summer is I want to see him move on with those starts because he he does seem to go into those rash shots a little bit more. He doesn't always use his feet a lot. And I feel that while he can get those starts going, he just sometimes plays that sort of rash square shot, um, trying to look for runs. He needs to find a few more scoring opportunities if he's going to have a good series. Yeah, well, we'll look at the bowling uh, lineup now. Cummins, Stark, Lyon, Hazelwood. There's already been talk because it said we're, we're starting now. We're, we're playing five tests in essentially six weeks. A big workload. A lot of talk that the there will be some rotation, particularly on the paceman side. You'd probably expect Nathan Lyon to play all five games. He'll just keep bowling all day. But um, it said Pat Cummins being captain, that's going to be hard with um, trying to give up his place in the team, particularly if he does need a rest. Um, but Mitchell Stark, you think, maybe could be um, rotated out after the the Adelaide test where his sort of bowling will be seen as um, uh, great with the with the pink ball under lights, but then going to some of the, the harder pitches for bowlers like the, M- the MCG, the SCG, might see the likes of uh, Jai Richardson and um, Michael Neza come in who can uh, really bowl that line and length and um, tie the batsman down. And Josh Hazelwood, we, well, we know that what, what he brings to the table. But, boys, it is, it is going to be interesting to see how they manage this attack throughout the five tests. It's going to be very difficult to, to sort of balance that attack because they struggled with it last summer. I think when we were looking at that last day at the Gabba and some of the other test matches as well, it became sort of an inclination for Tim Payne to keep going back to Cummins and Hazelwood because they were just so good the whole summer and start wasn't as consistent, and Lyon wasn't the wicket-taking threat that he usually is. Now, they all played the four test matches last summer. It's hard to imagine they will do that again, particularly now that there are still some good stocks behind them. Jai Richardson had a great Sheffield Shield game just a couple of weeks ago, so he looks like he's in some good touch. I think, you know, obviously Stark's starting the series, and he does have a good record in the Pink Day test. I see him playing for probably most of this series, but he is under a little bit of pressure and uh, we're not sure if he's in the best form. So he's got to probably click early on because he, he could find himself under a lot of pressure. And I think with Pat Cummins, that responsibility of him probably feeling like he needs to balance the, the bowlers out and not bowl himself too much. But then at the same time, that might be what the team needs. It's, 
it's going to be a difficult responsibility trying to make sure that that attack works to its full potential, particularly in the early parts of the series. I think they'll get better as they go along, but just in the start, they've got to work it out. Arian, your thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm just wondering, why is Mitchell Stark even playing at the Gabba? We've seen his record in the past few summers, and he's really been underperforming there. His best venue is definitely Adelaide, and we saw Jai Richardson against Sri Lanka a few years back at the Gabba really put up a really good performance. So I'm just unsure why. I would play Mitchell Stark in Adelaide and one of either Sydney and Melbourne, and if it's going to somewhere like Hobart where there's more the kind of climate and conditions uh, conducive to more swing, playing there but I don't know why he's playing in Brisbane I think I think the difficulty with with not having Jai Richardson well bringing Jai Richardson back is he hasn't played in the test arena for quite some time and Stark at the end of the day he is a little bit of a different bowler to Cummins and Hazelwood he is that left armor and he has had some good success against England in the past I, I think he only played one test match in the last Ashes series but he was he was good in that one game he got so I feel like it, it. I just feel like at the moment you, you probably got to give him a go to start the series at the Gabba and maybe Adelaide. Um, but again, it's going to come down if he's bowling well and taking wickets, then they can keep him. But if he's not and he's going for runs, well, they've got other options. Yeah, but the thing with Mitchell Stark, I think, is he's not really had too much match practice in the four day stuff as of late, and he's not that high on confidence. So all that stuff will be playing on his performance and then he can't be as big of an asset as he would be usually. While Jai Richardson, he's had a really good start to the Shield season. He's wearing to go. He's like chomping at the bits, his opportunity. And I think he's just going to provide that little bit more value and bowl with a bit more effort and have that sort of Zing and he step a little bit more. Well said. It's going to be interesting to see how they manage that attack. I said, I, I do believe there will be some rotation in those five tests. It'll be interesting to see how they do manage it. But before we do take our break here on Splinters, it'd be remiss of us if we didn't talk about the English squad. Um, we'll go through it quickly. Joe Root, uh, the captain, Ben Stokes, James Anderson, Johnny Bairstow, Don Bess, Stuart Broad, Rory Burns, Josh Butler, Zach Crawley, uh, Hazim Hamid, Dan Lawrence, Jack Leach, David Milan, Craig Overton, Ollie Pope, Ollie Robertson, Chris Wokes, and Mark Wood. Don't, I don't think other than maybe Ben Stokes and, and Jimmy Anderson under uh, the lights at, at Adelaide, there's not a whole lot of fear in that team. Um, as I said, they're going to need a good team performance if they're going to take it to the Aussies here, not having the not having those big standout players that you may compare them to in the Aussie lineup. Yeah, that England side, it's going to be a bit of a collection of players who are a little bit, haven't have underperformed in the past and they need to elevate themselves. And a lot will be on the shoulders of Joe Root and Ben Stokes, who are the two star batsmen in that side. Um, I think the interesting things is the England side they're going to be looking at is who are they going to be opening with? It looks like Burns and Hamid, but are they going to be the ones that last the whole series? I've got question marks on Hasib Hamid because he does play with low hands. That might make him a little bit vulnerable in the first test match at the Gabba. And then obviously there'll be 
um, the likes of Jack Leach, whether he gets a spot on the side. I will say the one thing I like about this England side, though, they've got David Milan there at number three. I think he was a good addition during the summer, and he was probably he was easily England's best batsman when he was here over here four years ago. And I would have liked to. I'd like. I'm happy that he's back in the side and he's taking on a a big role responsibility. I think he enhances their their chances of success a lot more. Ben Stokes, he wasn't named in the original team, but then as soon as uh, he was declared fit, they got him on the first plane across to Australia. How big do you think his influence on this series is going to be? Well, it's an ash. He's on Australian soil. It's impossible to turn away. Like, he had that time away. He obviously reassessed a few things, got himself back in order just in time. But onto the squad, there's a couple of players... I'm really surprised that in this squad. I don't know why Dan Lawrence is there for one and Zach Crawley. They've really underperformed for England in the past sort of half a year to a year and they've had a lot of opportunities. I'm going to go to the opposite to Andrew and say that I'm really excited by the prospect of Hasib Hamid and what he was able to bring to the opening partnership and, uh, when they were at home against India with Rory Burns. I think they're more of a long-term solution. Um, I'm really excited to see Craig Overton back. We know how much of an impact he had in the last Ashes series. Ollie Robinson, top bowler, Chris Wokes, Mark Wood. But there's a couple of players I'm really surprised that didn't make the squad, and that's Matt Parkinson, and Saqib Mahmood. I just think the performances they put on for England in that limited time and also in first class, it's a bit hard to ignore. So hopefully they can break out of that England A squad and force themselves in somehow. But it's going to be tricky. And yeah, I think both pace batteries kind of are equal, but... Australia just a little bit stronger with the bat. It'll be interesting to see. A lot a lot will rest on Joe Root, um, as well as we mentioned with Australia, with how they're going to rotate their pace bowlers. Obviously, the likes of Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, you wouldn't expect them to play all five um, test matches. Jimmy Anderson will certainly be slated for that pink ball test in Adelaide. Um, Broad probably play two or three as well. It'll be interesting to see how they balance it out. And they... Yeah, I agree with you, Arian, with the spinner. I just They'll probably go with Jack Leach. He'll play that holding role, bowl one end while they rotate the quick bowlers at the other. I just don't think that's attacking enough on, on Australian pitches. Um, no no disrespect to Leach, but uh, as I said, I think it's the Aussies. You always think about what the other opposition team's going to want to face, and I think they'd love to face Jack Leach. So that's sort of showing that maybe they did need to go, maybe not the uh, the road most travelled um, with their spinning options, but all I can say is at least uh, it's not Don Bess. But um, that takes us through part one here of the uh, Splinters Ashes preview. We do Splinters thanks to our great partners in Atlas Chartered Accounting, ISC Sport, Hornsby Guy Post, and ISC Sports and Hornsby RSL. We've got plenty more to talk to after the break. We'll be talking the fixtures. There's five big test matches. We'll be giving you your tips. And don't forget, there's two Ashes series out here in Australia this summer. That's right, the women's Ashes. We'll talk a bit about that as well. It's coming up starting in January. So 
for the team. We'll be back shortly here on Splinters. It's time for the crew to catch their breath. We'll be back after this short break. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Hornsby RSL Club, your perfect place to catch up with friends and family. With dining options ranging from modern Australian favourites in the courtyard, authentic Asian cuisine from Keku, or delicious wood-fired pizzas from Level 1, there is something for everyone to enjoy. Join us weekly for entertainment activities such as trivia, meat raffles, bingo and free live music, or grab some tickets to see one of our first-class entertainment acts in the showroom. Thinking of holding an event? Let our friendly events team guide you through every step to create the perfect event for any occasion. Visit our website at hornsbyrsl.com.au for further details. Hornsby RSL Club, proud sponsors of Triple H. Want to look your sporting best on and off the field? Then make sure you get kitted out with ISC Sport Teamwear. ISC Sport are Australia's leading name in custom sports uniforms with a wide range of sportswear tailored to your team's needs. 100% Australian-owned and fully customisable. ISC Sport cover all four winter codes and cricket, basketball, netball and hockey as well as training and outerwear, ensuring you look the part when representing your community. As Don Rizzuto would say, look sharp and play pretty with ISC Sport. Visit their website, iscsport.com, for more information. ISC Sport, official clothing partners of Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Bowling is back in Hornsby. The Attic offers a 10-pin bowling experience like no other, with Australia's first ever augmented reality scoring experience that will take your game to a whole new level. With a selection of traditional and custom-built arcade games, the Attic Entertainment Precinct is complete with a bar and lounge area to keep you entertained for hours. Specialising in kids' parties and celebrations, the Attic at Hornsby RSL Club is perfect for your next special event. Whether it be an afternoon out with the kids or a night out with friends, it will be an unforgettable occasion that will bowl you and your guests over. Visit our website, theattichornsby.com.au for more information. The Attic, proud sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. Yes, welcome back here to Splinters, the bench podcast. Whether you're listening on Triple H 100.1 FM or all the good and bad podcast sites, we do it thanks to Atlas Chart Accountants, ISC Sport, Hornsby RSL and the Hornsby Karingai Post. I am the wise man, Matt Mears. I'm joined by Arian Shah and by Andrew Hurlinger. We've gone through the teams. We've gone through those players. Now it's time to talk these fixtures. And uh, we know tomorrow we start off at the Gabba. I said the record here for Australia is just phenomenal. Um, there's a reason why they want to make this the first test every year. It's just something about this pitch. It's something about the conditions. Australia really fire up for it. You get 30,000 in the Gabba. I think the first day is already sold out, probably the first two. It's just going to be phenomenal to see it packed full of fans for this test match. But um, 
It'll be interesting to see what England can bring here, Andrew, with, um, as I said, they'll have some quality bowlers. You'd think they'd pick Mark Wood. Ollie Robinson's obviously got a lot of wraps on him as well. They'll enjoy the bit of the extra bounce and movement off that Gabba pitch. Well, it's it, it's a ground that obviously is very difficult for overseas teams to come over here and, and have success. And England themselves have a, a terrible history there at the Gabba, but I don't necessarily feel like that the ground itself is going to be something that the England players can act, will, will actually struggle in that badly. I feel like they've got the players that can handle those conditions. It's just whether that the Australian intensity and pace of Hazelwood and, and Cummins and if Stark does bowl well, whether that sort of pace and intensity they just can handle it. It's going to be the question mark on whether the batsmen can bat long periods of time because, as we know, if you get in at the Gabba, you can play really well and you can trust the bounce. So I feel like that there is definitely a possibility for a few of those England bowlers to to really enjoy rushing in. It's uh, it, it's hard to imagine them not playing Anderson and Broad as much as maybe there's an argument that Mark Wood should be in there. And uh, I don't know, maybe they will go for the four quicks and they'll put Ollie Robertson in there as well. It's... It, there's a little bit still of it, not complete clarity with that England bowling attack. So I guess we're going to have to wait there. But I do feel like that the likes of Ollie Robinson will enjoy that pitch. I expect him to easily be the, the best bowler there at the Gabba. And maybe Stuart Broad will bowl well there too and maybe trouble the likes of David Warner uh, with that sort of wood that he has on him and maybe Marcus Harris as well. So, yeah, I, I feel like this could be a lot closer than some of the other other Gabba Ashes games that we've had, I don't feel like the difference will be as big. Um, and it, it could be a game affected by weather as well. So, you know, if it's affected by weather, that England could get away with a draw or it might just be one of those games where Australia win, but it's a bit tighter. Yeah, well, Arian, that rain factor, it's played havoc with the practice games that both teams tried to have in Brisbane over the last week or two. What are your thoughts? Do you think the weather's going to play a big factor in this one, or do you think there can be enough play for uh, one of these sides to to take it out and, and go 1-0 up in the series? Well, yeah, it could come down to one of two things. It really depends how much rain there's going to be, because sometimes with Brisbane, you can see that you'd get one to one and a half sessions in a day before the like small kind of storm passes over then you get more play so if that happens across the week then sure you'd get a result because there'll be enough play and then enough light uh after the schedule stumps time to make up some time and obviously starting early so if that happens then i think australia would have this game but if there is more inclement weather, then it could play into England's hands. And England will have a lot of confidence from what India was able to achieve this time last year with quite a similar team. But Australia, with a new culture, new captain, clean slate, will be looking for revenge at one of their biggest fortresses in Australia. One, one thing I will say about this England side over the last 12 months they have not really ever shown an ability to really put the foot to the throttle and, and charge for that victory. They tend to play more conservatively. And I feel like if they get into a scenario where they're actually leading the game, 
I just don't expect them to charge for that victory. I think they would be happy to walk away with just a draw and say, well, that's a good start. And sure, that might be a good start. It gets them nil all in the series, but I feel like they've really got to push hard and get ahead in the series as quickly as they can. I think any point, if if they go 1-0 down early on, that's where it's going to get difficult. And if they get an opportunity to win, they've got to go for it. But I just haven't seen it in the captaincy of Joe Root to go after the result. And if it, if they do, it's, it's probably going to have to come down to the likes of someone like an Ollie Robinson or Ben Stokes bowling really well. Yeah, well, I'd say this second test, though, is where the English will be looking forward to the day-nighter, Adelaide Oval. Pink ball, under lights, they've got the battery of fast bowlers. This is one where I would expect they will play for fast bowlers because they know what the Aussies will be like against the swing ball. We saw what... The top order, the the Warners, the the Harrises, etc. We saw how they reacted to the swinging juke ball in England a couple of years ago. They'll be looking to use that advantage at Adelaide and try and be bowling at the right times in that twilight under lights where you can see a lot of wickets fall quick fall quickly. It's going to be a game of tactics if you can be batting or bowling at the right or wrong time. I think it's going to go a long way to determining who's going to take home the win. Um, because I said, unless there's a lot of rain, we see these games do end quite... There's almost guaranteed to be a result there at the day-nighter. I think out of all the ones we've had there in Adelaide, there's always been a result. And I think Australia have won every single time, which is quite a remarkable record. They've just seemed to, to nail those day-nighters quite regularly. And uh, I expect Hazelwood again to probably be the star in that performance. Stark has a good record in those games as well. But, you know, James Anderson's only five for in Australia was in a day-night test as well. And uh, he was particularly impressive with the pink ball when he was over here four years ago and is arguably a better bowler than he was four years ago. He certainly keeps on bowling some terrific spells. And he, he will be well supported by the likes of um, Stuart Broad. It might might even see Chris Wokes get a game in here. He's been having some better form over the last 12 months and, I think he was pretty good in the last pink test as well over here. So uh, I do expect them to, if they're going to play four quicks at any point in the series, that this will be the one that they throw it in. And um, this is the best equipped one for them to win this. They've got the players that can handle the swing conditions. There are some flawed techniques in that Australian side um, in the likes of Harris. And I think Warner can be vulnerable to the swing as well. So they could definitely... Um, cause some havoc at the the top and middle order. Arian, your thoughts? Um, it'll be interesting to see with um, what they do with the um, pace lineup. Um, Wokes, I think um, Andrew said he'd be a good in. He does have he does get a lot of swing on that ball. The pink ball will suit him. Um, but you'd think though that England could really um, use that to their advantage, and this would probably be the the, the conditions that would suit the most out of the five tests. I know he hasn't been mentioned much, but Craig Overton and Adelaide in the last Ashes series was exceptional. The way he bowled, the way he bowled to Steve Smith. And I think three three players are going to be particularly vulnerable here in Adelaide from a batting perspective in Australia are David Warner, Marcus Harris and Travis Head. I just don't think they have the techniques and temperaments to handle day-night test cricket. Their record hasn't really shown it. And I'll be very, very surprised if Usman Khawaja doesn't get selected. His record in the day-night test gone by 
has been exceptional. The way he's able to negotiate the swing at night and then really cash in in the daytime has been something special. So I wouldn't even be surprised if they take five pace bowlers and forget about the spinner because I think Craig Overton, Fraud, Anderson, Robinson, Wokes, and even Wood, you can bring a uh, majority of those in and they will be uh, kind of, yeah, it's, it will really, really suit them and they'll be having a blast on that wicket. Well, we'll move to the third test, the Boxing Day test at the MCG. Boy, is that going to... We're talking about... We're looking forward to tomorrow. The um, the crowd, the 30,000 packed in the Gabba. There's talks of 90,000, 95,000. Everyone in Melbourne waiting for this sporting event because, as I said, if there's a one city that's done it the most toughest in uh, Australia, it's been Melbourne with their lockdowns and the like. But uh, everyone down there loves a Boxing Day test. I just hope that the pitch is going to be up to standard. We've seen in the last few years... It hasn't been quite up to scratch. Lots of draws, not much in it for the bowlers. But I think last year they they did sort of get it a bit up to standard. It did play well in parts. um, But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who can play the conditions the best. I think this is going to be one of the closest ones just on how the conditions are going to play. It's going to be up to who plays better throughout the five days who has the most who wins the most sessions because as i said i think anybody who can uh, win the toss and bat here if they can see through that first session they're going to be able to score runs but if the pitch holds together batting second you're going to be able to score runs too so it's this one i think is going to be really interesting and that crowd is just going to be absolutely phenomenal the the pitch that we had last year and i think that was the game where india got back to one all and ajinkay rahane scored a, a very good 100 that was a great pitch and it was certainly um a real nice to have the melbourne the melbourne cricket ground pitch back to normal it just seems like for so many years and i think the last asses test was one of them as well where it was just so slow so two paced and um, it, it just didn't give the bowl as much of an opportunity. And while I actually don't mind those pitches at certain times, if they really challenge bowlers, if they're not going to ever lend to wickets and just lead to batathons, it's it does become not so entertaining. So I'm hoping we get an even contest there again. And I think we, I expect it to be. I think this will be a good pitch as well. And it, it's, again, it's probably one that actually keeps two sides a bit balanced. It's not the same bounce and same intimidation factor that um, might put England on the back foot. It gives, you know, probably an opportunity for the better side at this time of the series to get on top. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this this game, and I think this this will be the game where if the two teams are a little bit tight, you probably start to see the differences and the class just start to separate themselves. And, um I guess when I'm starting to lean towards Australia saying that they have a little bit more class, this is probably the time in the series where I would say that the likes of Pat Cummins might start to explode and maybe Steve Smith will start scoring some some big runs as well. So I'm kind of expecting this to be the moment when maybe Australia start to get away from England or if England are showing up, they actually start to impose themselves. Yeah, so... I personally think it's going to be another draw just because of the pitches we've seen in the past and they've really been kind of road-like 
pretty flat, nothing much happening. I personally think that both teams should look at incorporating two spinners to match that. But yeah, I can't see a result out of this test. Well, we'll move to the fourth test, the SCG. A little bit later than normal, starting the 5th of Jan. Um, normally you see it starting about the 3rd, but um, again, this I think will come down to the pitch. We haven't seen the old usual... Um, spinning pitch in the SCG the last couple of years. I was saying, I know you, you called the two spinners at the MCG there, Arian. This is traditionally where you would see two spinners, but just lately not really taking the turn as it has. But um, maybe this would be where you might see some um, where you might see some changes in the squads, particularly with if um, one team has the advantage or the other after the first three tests. It's interesting because they always talk about. Um, playing two spinners, but they never really do it. And then they end up playing a lot of overs with a part-timer. Like I remember the last Sydney test, they bowled a lot with minus Labashain, actually the last couple. And yeah, I really think that with the likes of Mitchell Swepson, a genuine spinner, a leg spinner, to really complement Lyon, he could be a handful. But yeah, Australia's record at the SCG is quite imposing as of late. I can't see this one going too dissimilarly to that. I think that SG, SCG pitch and its its spinning traits has certainly diminished a little bit over the years, though. I think Nathan Lyon did have one good test match a couple of summers ago there against New Zealand. But yeah, I, I think um, particularly with... I guess England not being the strongest spinning side in in the world, I I don't know if that's going to be a big inclination for them. I just think they're going to keep going pace strong and and focus on that. And um, I guess when you're looking at batsmen who could be successful in these conditions, um, we'll be looking at that rivalry between Ben Stokes and Nathan Lyon, who seem to I, I reckon by this point in the series, will it'll be a real close contest because. Uh, those two, obviously, Nathan Lyon likes bowling to left-handers and Ben Stokes likes to take down a new spinner. So I'm actually excited for that contest at this point in the series um, at that SCG where uh, we might see Ben Stokes really enjoy some of those those shorter boundaries that you sometimes get at the SCG. Uh, yeah, this will be a great game. And I just, I think, I still think at this point, Australia are probably starting to get a little bit on top and... Uh, this might be where they go on. But, of course, this game could also be affected by some of the El Nino weather that we're getting through at this late stage of the year. So it, it could be a little bit in danger of, of falling out to uh, a bit of a rain-affected game. So we'll just have to wait and see. Well, we hope not for that, being the locals we are here in Sydney. But for, finally, we'll hit the fifth test. It's just come out in the last 24 hours that uh, will not be played at Perth Stadium. It's up in the air now. Will Sydney host two? Will we go back to Melbourne for a day-night test? Or will Hobart um, host its first test in five years? Andrew, it's uh, it's all up in the air at the moment. Hopefully, we'll have some clarity soon. But where, do, where would you like to see this test being played? It's a really difficult one because, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of giving the likes of Hobart and, and Canberra an opportunity to post an Ashes test match. I don't think we've had them have... Ashes test matches in so long so I, I would be a big fan to take it down there but 
there is a part of me just that thinks that this could be a decider at the end of the series. I don't know if it will be, but in any case, if it is, having 10, 15,000 crowds at those smaller stadiums, it just it mightn't be the smartest idea. It's it's honestly, it's just such a shame that we can't have it in Perth where it would be a perfect 60,000 strong crowd. We'd probably get everyone there and it's exactly what that stadium was built for. And we're not even going to be able to play in it. It's just such a travesty. But um, I, I wouldn't mind going again maybe in Sydney. Um, it, that might be a possibility as well. So it, it's going to be a bit of a difficult one. Maybe go back down to Adelaide. I know some people have spoken for maybe even a day-night test match in Melbourne. I think Shane Warne pitted that idea. I'm not sure, sure about that. But, yeah, look, I'm honestly open for ideas and I think if um, maybe it's a decision that they could make maybe a couple of test matches into the series. So I don't know when they have to make that final call. They probably need to make it as soon as possible for the ticketing and that. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy for it to be in Hobart and Canberra if that's what they want to go down. But I do know that they're probably, you know, economics-wise and making the most mm. ticketing – it's probably best if you stick to one of the big cities, which is your your Brisbane's or your yeah. Oh, sorry, Brisbane's, Melbourne, and Sydney. So I, I feel like that could be a path they go down. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that day night test in Melbourne um, being the first one um, ever, and them being starved of sport for so long, they're going to fill the MCG again. And I think Cricket Australia is just going to be looking at the dollar signs of what they can do rather than a a 15,000 crowd at Hobart or Canberra. I'm going to go a little bit left field here again and say the the other perfect ground for a day-night test is Hobart because conditions traditionally have favoured pace. Australia really hasn't done that well. We saw what happened last time against South Africa, the massive overhaul of the team getting bowled out for that record, uh, that very low score. And I think having it at Hobart could play into England's hands just because of Australia's record there, the extra swinging C movement um, under the lights. And, yeah, I just think it's unfair how much Hobart has been starved of international cricket. Like, it is... A great ground. It may be small, but still represents an important part of Australia, which I don't really want to be forgotten about. I do think it's going to be a little bit difficult to get two day-night games in there. That's probably going to be the most difficult thing for both teams to agree upon. But, you know, both teams have also been flexible about that in the past. I mean, England played a, a pink test over here four years ago, so they seem pretty receptive to the idea. So... Uh, it might actually have some swing, just a day night anywhere. My favorite thing would be five pink. T- that's not going to happen. Maybe, maybe give it ten years, and they need the creator um, stay or really need the money, and uh, that's the uh, TV deal they sign with whoever the the provider will be that far down the track. But uh, we'll wait and see. We'll, we'll save the crystal ball for another episode. We we are getting a bit shorter time here, so boys, we'll start with you, Arian. Give me a prediction. Who's going to take it out? I think Australia's going to win 3-0. Andrew? 
Um, I'm going to give England one win, and I'm going to say it probably will be 3-1. Yeah, I'm going to go down the same line as you, Andrew. I, I think that second test, I think England will, will look the goods. One, one test will be drawn just because of rain. Hopefully not the first test, but it could be a possibility. Um, but yeah, I think the Aussies will be too strong. If there are two drawn tests, it might get a bit close and be 2-1. But um, all I know is it's going to be enthralling, it's going to be captivating, and we'll all miss it when it's gone. But uh, it, it will be remiss of us as we've got a couple of minutes left here on Splinters. There will be the Women's Ashes series that will be starting in late January. So if you've if you've uh, not had enough Ashes fix, you'll be able to watch this. We're, we're looking at one of these combined series. We saw the Aussie women play this against India earlier in the summer. But they're doing it here again for the Ashes. We've seen it the last few times. I think it's a brilliant way to be able to decide the, the competition. Um, we start off with the test. Canberra will get a test. It will get the Sydney. It will get the women's test here on uh, January twenty-seven to thirty. Um, then we move up to our favourite ground, North Sydney Oval, um, for the first and second T Twenty in February. We then move to Adelaide Oval, where they will host the third T20 plus the first ODI, and then we round out with two ODIs at the Junction Oval in Melbourne on February 16 and 19. So quick, sharp, short. It's going to be an enthralling series. I'll get uh, some thoughts. We haven't ha- obviously had any pl- any teams named or any squads named, so I'm sure we'll revisit this down the road as it gets closer to the event. But I know you guys are excited about it. Um, maybe just give us, as we close out here, a couple of thoughts um, and, and who could be influential in this series. I'll go to you first, Andrew. Um, look, I, again, it will be a very big series, and I think you know, Australia are primed to do well again. They've got the likes of Elisa Heary and Elise, Peace, um, Elise Perry, who will no doubt have a good series. And um, I just think that those two and Meg Lanning as well are going to be such a strong. I mean, their top order is brilliant. You got Mooney there as well, and Talia McGrath might come in and Gardner. It's it's such a strong Australian side, and they're well primed to do well in the Australian conditions. But the England side's good as well, and you've got Heather Knight and um, uh, a couple others as well. So yeah, it. I think it's going to be a a very strong side and. Um, a strong series, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I just think it, it'll be a great way to cap off the summer, and it'll give those Canberra fans as well, if they don't get one of the men's test mats, uh, a great, exciting event to be a part of. Arian, your thoughts? I know you'll be looking forward to this series as well. Yeah, I just think Australia has a lot of big stars returning, the likes of Megan Shute, Jess Jonathan. I agree with Andrew that... Talia McGrath, Beth Mooney, they can have big series. Elise Perry, as she usually does on the Test Arena. Meg Lanning. And from England's point of view, I really think they are the other big heavyweights in women's cricket at the moment. The likes of Heather Knight, Tammy Beaumont, Nat Siver, Danny Wyatt, Sophie Eccleston, Shrub Soul. They have a brilliant all-round team. And they're both... Pretty heavy on spin bowlers as well, both Australia and England. So it'll be interesting to see how Australia play the spin. They have had their struggles in the past. So, yeah, I can't see... I see these this Ashes series being a lot closer than people might think. But I think Australia will just have the edge. 
you know, you'd think that Australia would have the edge in their home conditions. I hope I'll be getting to one of those T20s at North Sydney Oval. Maybe we even need to put in a, a bid to maybe call that Sunday one in our normal T20 slime slot. I know I can dream, but uh, maybe dreams can become reality um, because, as I said, we've seen some enthralling women's sport not just cricket at North Sydney Oval, and I'm sure that will not disappoint. But uh, that does bring us to the end of another episode of Splinters, the bench podcast here on Triple H 100.1 FM and all your good and bad podcast sites. I want to thank the team for joining me. Andrew Hurlinger, mate, some great insight. It was a pleasure to have you back here on Splinters. Thanks, Matt. Looking forward to this Ashes series. I think it's going to be a great summer and definitely keen to talk to you about it during the coming months. Mate, I'm sure we'll be talking about it quite a lot on the bench on Friday nights here on Triple H 100.1 FM. I'm sure we'll probably try and fit in another splinters maybe after the series as well as a review. But Aryan Shah as well, mate. Pleasure to have you here. Great insights again, and I'm sure we'll be catching you on the bench shortly where we'll be talking more cricket. Thanks again, and I can't wait for Wednesday. It's going to be a cracker of a summer. It certainly is. So... Thanks to our great partners, Atlas Chartered Accountants, Hornsby RSL, Hornsby Kringai Post, and ISC Sport. That's been your uh, Splinters Ashes preview for the team. I am the wise man, Matt Mears. Make sure you tune in for the bench Friday nights here on Triple H 100.1 FM, plus our cricket coverage Sundays here on Triple H. So for the team, thanks very much for listening. We'll catch you down the road. Thank you for joining us for Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. You can also find us streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcasts.com and all good podcast and streaming sites.